the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Glenn Beck. The Blaze Radio Network. So people ask me all the time, uh, how do we fix it, Glenn? How do we fix it? The answer is becoming more and more clear every day, more and more obvious. Um, Fix reason firmly in her seat. And question with boldness, even the very existence of God, for if there be a God, he must surely rather honest questioning over blindfolded fear. That's what Thomas Jefferson wrote to his nephew, Peter Carr. And it is what we're lacking now. You can't ask an honest question. When is the last time you heard an honest question? You know, um, Nunberg on television last night. Those weren't honest questions to him. That was a show. They had an agenda. He had an agenda. And it served the same purpose. So they got together. But there were no honest questions there. Honest questions make us uncomfortable. Because an honest question is asked and you have the ability to say, huh, I never thought of it that way. I don't know. That may change my opinion. And no one is willing to change opinions. No one is willing to lose. No one is willing to look weak. We have to destroy the other side. No, we don't. We have to find the truth. But how many of us are really on the mission of truth because we all feel we're under attack. And when you're under attack, it's human nature to board everything up, pull up the drawbridge and hunker down. And that's where we are. That will lead to disaster. There is a, a, a renaissance going on now, a renaissance of the enlightenment And it's not happening in the Capitol. It's not happening in the media centers. It's happening online. And it's happening with very brave people. And I want to introduce you to one of them. A guy who used to be a progressive. A guy who used to be uh, a a liberal. I think a classic liberal. But that's not understood in America. And realized, wait a minute, I I thought think progressive doesn't mean what i think it means i think as he said in his prager university video it's become regressive because they're silencing speech i was on his show about a year ago and was really fascinated by him i i was a little worried uh when i first went in because i thought okay this guy was on the young turks and i'm sure he may have felt the same way about me i hope he doesn't feel that way today as he joins us uh, for the first time on the program for a, an uh, an hour-long interview it's dave rubin hello dave how are you glenn it's good to be with you and, and thank you for possibly the the kindest intro that i've ever received i'm, I'm sending that one right to my mom <laughs> So, uh, so Dave, um, I am I am more and more impressed with you uh, every day. There is there is something that is happening, uh, and it's it's really kind of underground at this point. Um, it is let's have discussions with people we don't agree with, and see if we can find some common ground. That's pretty yeah. risky. You know, it's funny. I mean, I guess in crazy times like we live in right now, that's risky. That being said, it seemed very obvious to me from the beginning when I started doing this show. Something was so wrong, and everyone kind of has known it for a while. I think right now, and it's partly what you alluded to 
in the intro there, now it's becoming painfully obvious that something is wrong in the system, that everything seems to be breaking down at once, meaning our political system, our media system, even the sports world, that this sort of leftist, postmodern, cultural Marxist, whatever you want to call it, that this set of collectivist ideas has now infiltrated everything, including even the YouTube algorithm, to the point where everyone is constantly at each other's throats. And if you watch CNN, and you're, you're completely right about what happened last night, and actually, I'll tell you this, so Nunberg goes on there. I, I was in the middle of, I'm doing three shows today, so I was doing prep for, for three shows, and I, and I never watch CNN anymore because it is not news. It is noise. I mean, that is simply the truth. And once you really start understanding that and really start understanding that you have to figure out how to get your news elsewhere, or at least from many different sources so that you can cobble together what's true, because most of these organizations, these people are not journalists, they're activists. When you really understand that, it, it, it gives you a real sense of clarity. But I noticed as I was prepping for my shows and I had Twitter open and I saw all these people piling on what was happening with Nunberg last night. And I and immediately I thought, I'm not going to turn it on, that nothing good. will it won't be good for me. It, whatever is happening is not good for the country. Yes, I'll read something tomorrow. And and, you know, if it, if it really burns and becomes something hugely important culturally and politically, yes, of course, I'll pay attention to it. But this endless need for you know, to find somebody, to destroy somebody, to move on to the next one. I mean, we're, we're becoming like parasites in a way. You know, people open up Twitter. You know, Twitter is the, the, the one of these of all the social media networks that, that gets everybody the craziest. And there's a couple of reasons for that. It's the easiest to amplify messages. You know, most of the media people are on there, et cetera, et cetera. But it's almost like we're becoming parasites. We, we find someone in the, you wake up in the morning, you look on Twitter, you find someone who you've never heard of, who said something that you slightly disagree with. And next thing you know, you're trying to get them fired from their job, even though they live 3,000 miles away. So almost everything is wrong right now. And because of that, I think a few of us have seen it. I think a few of us saw it coming for quite some time. And that was the sort of reason why I decided to do this show, which ironically, you know, now it's like I walk down the street and all these people come up to me and they say how groundbreaking it is and it's so incredible and all this stuff. That's like, wow, all I'm doing truly is sitting across from someone, whether I agree with them or disagree with them and, and listening to them and, and talking it out with them and often disagreeing on things, but doing it respectfully. And that shouldn't be rocket science. And yet mm -hmm. here we are. So it's, it's quite bizarre. Tell me a little bit for for people who don't listen to the or watch the Rubin Report um, online, which you should. Great podcast, um, uh, and I want to get into some of the podcasts that you have done recently. Um, but sure, um, if, for somebody who doesn't know you, Dave, um, explain your 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 awakening, or how would you describe what's happened to you? Yeah, well, I was a liberal my whole life. I, I come from uh, New York. Uh, my family. Uh, wasn't involved in politics per se, but was always arguing about politics. My extended family, I mean, big, you know, dinners, meals, holidays, everyone arguing about everything. And, and at the end of the meal, then we'd all kind of get over it and move on. And I remember even being, you know, 11 and 12 and, and I'm wanting to sit at the adults table because that's what they were doing. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that was great. You know, sometimes I'd be arguing, but sometimes, you know, just sitting there as a kid, like what, what's going on here? Um, but I grew up as a liberal, as a Democrat. My parents were both Democrats. 
Um, most of my aunts and uncles Democrats. I think my grandparents were Democrats. Um, but I remember specifically, I, I was born in 1976, so I'm 41 years old. Uh, I was born in the Bicentennial. And in 1988 or 87, during the George H.W. Bush, Michael Dukakis election, I remember there was a moment we were doing a, a mock election in the class. And I was, I think I was Dukakis's campaign manager or something like that. I was working on, you know, working on the campaign. Sure. And I remember in the real, in the real election, I remember there was a moment where um, George H.W. Bush had called Dukakis a liberal. And then for a week, everybody was talking about how Dukakis was running away from the word liberal as if it was bad. And I couldn't understand that. That made no sense to me. I thought liberals were the good guys. Liberals care about poor people. Liberals care about minorities. Liberals, uh, you know, generally seem to be nicer and more caring and all of this stuff. And so that I ran with that. And I was a political I went to Binghamton University, which is a state school in New York. I was a political science major. Um, and I was I always considered myself left and liberal. And then in these last 10 years or so, you know, the progressives sort of took over the liberal movement. So meaning, you know, there used to be there used to be classical liberals, as you alluded to yes. earlier. So just just three very quickly. I always I always mention these three because one was a mayor, one was a senator, one was president. You have JFK, who was a president. He was a classical liberal. And we can get into all of the reasons that uh, I like to reference uh, Daniel Patrick Moynihan because I'm from New York. And I remember how much I I loved him. He was a senator in New York. And I would say Ed Koch as a mayor was a was a Democrat. Uh, you know, he was a, he was on the left, but he was basically a sane uh, Democrat. Mm -hmm. So there you have a, pre a president and, and the senator and a mayor. And basically, in, in a sense, the difference right now between sort of classical liberals and, and progressives is progressives find, and I know you know this, but progressives find that the state is the answer to everything. More government is, to answer, is the answer to everything, which is ironic because they'll also tell you that the state is the most evil thing yes. possible. So while they're, so they'll tell you, right. you know, even right now, even right now with the gun debate, you know, they'll, on one hand, they're telling you Trump is evil and, and a dictator and, all of these, right, <laughs> right. And, a dictator, right, and wants to be a dictator and all of those things. Right. And then, and then their, their answer is to take your guns. Right. So there's an incredible, right. So there's an incredible flaw in the logic there, but, but to answer your original question, what really woke me up. So then I did stand up comedy for many years in New York. Uh, to show on Sirius XM for a while, but what sort of got me really into the political world was I joined the Young Turks. And at the time, I, even though I felt that they were a little more left than me generally, I felt it was basically a good fit. Um, and then I was there for about a year. There were, there were, you know, little disagreements here and there, but you know that I'm, I'm not above disagreement and I certainly don't let that affect relationships. Um, the, the wake of the final the sort of real awakening, there were a couple things, but the real awakening uh, was the night that Sam Harris, who's a, a neuroscientist that, who I know you're aware of, uh, he was on a real time with Bill Maher to discuss uh, religion. And ironically, he was actually promoting a book called Waking Up, which was uh, the subtitle is A Guide to Spirituality Without Religion. So it was really about finding inner peace. Uh, he gets on there, they end up talking about Islam, sort of the reverse of inner peace. And, and Ben Affleck, basically calls Bill Maher and Sam Harris gross and racist. Hang on just a second. And, I have that yeah. I have that audio. I want to play that in oh, case. Okay. Here's that, yeah. here's that audio. Every criticism of the doctrine of Islam this gets is inflated with bigotry toward Muslims as people. Right. And that is uh, it's, it's intellectually ridiculous. So even it gets So hold on. Are you racist. the person who understands the officially codified doctrine Affleck. of Islam? 
You're uh, the interpreter well, of that, so well, you well, can say, well, I, this I'm, is... I'm, I'm, I think actually, any, I'm actually well-educated well, on this topic. I'm, yeah. I'm asking you. So I mean, you're you, saying if I criticize the... You're saying that Islamophobia is not a real thing. That if you're critical of something... It, well, it's not a real thing when we do it. Right. <laughs> well, well, no, it no, really no, isn't. I, I'm not denying that, that certain people are bigoted against Muslims as people. That's, right. And that's a that's problem. big of you. But the... But why are you so hostile about this It's It's gross. It's racist. It's not. It's But it's so nuts. It's like saying you're shifty Jew. You're not listening to what we are saying. You guys are saying, if you want to be liberals, believe in liberal principles, like freedom of speech, like, you know, we are endowed by our forefathers with an inalienable life, like all men are created equal. No, Ben, we have to be able to criticize bad ideas. Of course we do. No liberal doesn't want to criticize bad ideas. But Islam is the mother load of bad ideas. Jesus. So we have... That's just a like, fact. Like that's that's re- ben Affleck is remarkable on multiple levels on this. <laughs> so you, There's so much there. Yeah, there is. So I'm glad, I'm glad you played that, actually. So I do want to clarify one thing, because I had Sam on my show about a year later when I eventually relaunched the show as an interview show. And Sam did backtrack one thing there where he said the mother load. He's actually edited that. He said, I should have said a mother load. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that he, he does believe that the set of ideas, which are Islam, are a bad set of ideas. He didn't mean to imply that they are the worst set of ideas, yes. period. Yes. There are plenty of other. <laughs> so I think that it's, it's an important distinction because, yeah. you know, Glenn, anytime any of us, we misplace one word or I we, know. we pause in the wrong spot, you know, know. They, they come after us. So I'm, I'm happy to do Sam the favor on that. But what I think is so interesting about that moment was that what Sam was talking about is the difference between ideas and people. Mm -hmm. So if there was a political party that wanted women uh, to wear, you know, to cover their head or cover their whole body or put them in beekeeper costumes, as Bill Maher (laughs) says, if there was a political party that wanted that, if there was a political party that wanted the state to have all of the power, that said that stoning women was okay and throwing gays off roofs was okay and all those things, the less the progressives would be apoplectic and rightfully so they would be completely against that but because in this sense it's couched in a religion which is thought of a brown person's religion which that in in itself is actually racist Mm -hmm. because anyone can be part of any religion and of course there's white muslims and asian muslims and all sorts of other things um just like there are black jews and (laughs) black christians and, and everything else Um, But you have to be able to criticize any set of ideas. And especially because Islam is a particularly unique case because it's also it's also political in a way that Christianity and and Judaism aren't. But but without getting too deep into that, basically, I saw that moment and then it was really I was watching it live. I didn't know who Sam was actually at the time. And the next day I suddenly saw everyone online claiming that Sam Harris and Bill Maher were racist. Now, Bill, although I have a little bit more of a disagreement with him these days because I'm, I'm definitely more libertarian than I used yeah. to be, Bill, Bill, whether you like him or not, no one in their right mind thinks that Bill Maher is a racist. I mean, Bill Maher has fought for every lefty cause of all time. He's con- you know, he puts tons of minorities on his show. I know he dates minority women. I mean, all of this stuff. But no one thinks that the man's a racist. But everybody, just because a Hollywood celebrity said something, in a, in a hysterical manner. And Affleck was ready to fight. You can oh, yeah. hear it in yeah. the tone. Um, but because of all of that, suddenly the onus was on this, this neuroscientist who came on a show to talk inner peace and Bill Maher, the standard bearer of the left, at least in terms of the media in America for the last 20 some odd years, were on the defensive to prove they weren't racist. And my boss at the time, Jan Huger from the Young Turks, was one of the, was one of the serial uh, slanderers of both of them. 
they brought Sam in for a three-hour interview. Which 30 seconds. Absolute, oh, you're going to play it? You can play no, no, no. 30, I have 30 seconds before I have to break. Oh, okay, Go 30 ahead. seconds. All right, okay. Uh, which was an absolute disaster. And then subsequently, once I saw the way the left reacted to truth, to truth, as you started this whole thing by saying, uh, that was when it all started crumbling. And once it starts crumbling, it's a house of cards. You, you will try for a while to maintain it, but it cannot maintain under its own weight. Uh, Dave, about four years ago, I went and I, I called for a meeting with the leaders of GLAAD in New York. People who, you know, are not going to make my audience happy and, and I'm not going to make their people happy. And I said, look, can we just can we stop fighting about cakes for a minute and, and let's talk about the killing of Jews in, in the Middle East? They wanted nothing to do with it. Uh, and I said, let's just find a way to come together on both sides and stop this. Uh, it's a it's a common threat. Uh, and uh, they wouldn't hear it. Now, the left will not distance themselves from Louis Farrakhan. Are they eating yeah. themselves? Is this is this going to destroy the left in the end? Oh, it absolutely will. And that's why, in an interesting way, most of us that are, you know, basically for freedom, basically for liberty, basically for being governed as the Constitution lays out, we don't have to move that much right now. And I argue we shouldn't be moving to stay true to our principles right now as as both sides go bananas. I think more and more people are going to flock to us. And I think that, you know, my success in the last couple of years is, is really proof of that. Yeah. I can tell you, you know, on the GLAAD front, my, uh, my show on SiriusXM was on the LGBT channel. And basically, I wanted to be on the political channel, but they were like, ah, yeah. you're gay, you go to, the, go, to the, <laughs> go, to the gay, go to the gay channel and talk about pop culture. And it really wasn't what I wanted to do. I don't begrudge them any decision, you know, and it, it all worked out. Uh, but because of that, I, I would often go to these GLAAD events and I'd go to a lot of this kind of stuff. It was mostly, it wasn't even, they weren't even promoting... Uh, gay people they were promoting they were promoting all lefties but really what they were promoting were like real housewives and just sort of worse sort of bravo celebrity mm. nonsense um but yes what what they have become what many of these organizations have become i think even the adl unfortunately yeah. they've become leftist organizations they're not do they're not really fighting so, for for gay people or the adl isn't really fighting for jewish people they're fighting for progressive causes um, Dave, the things are changing and they're changing rapidly on both sides where uh, people really only want to hear their own sides. Um, YouTube is now talking about banning uh, people. And, you know, I think the Young Turks and Code Pink and Color of Change and Alex Jones should be able to be on YouTube. Doesn't mean that I mm -hmm. endorse them, but they should be able to be there. There needs to be a platform to be heard. But we live in a society now where um, ideas are frightening and and ideas don't frighten me and nor do people with other ideas frighten me what frightens me are those people who believe only their ideas have value and should be heard yeah i mean that's it right there i mean even uh, you may have seen this last night christina hoff summers who's a feminist the true feminist in the in the right way that one should be a feminist for equality of opportunity not equality of outcome uh, she spoke at portland state university last night and Antifa was screaming to shut her down. The head of the diversity something or other, you know, all these schools have these diversity uh, groups, which usually are actually have no diversity of thought. Yeah. Uh, they care about the color. They care about the color of your skin, which is actually the reverse 
of what Martin Luther King wanted. Um, you know, they're shouting her down. They were playing music loudly during her speech. They were asking her to get, you know, demanding actually that she get off stage. Uh, this, this is a woman who's not controversial by, you know, she's controversial. She's controversial because she's making some sense. Um, so it, it is incumbent. You know, I said at the beginning, my first direct message, I do a little uh, five or eight minute spiel at the beginning of each show. My first one of 2018 was my prediction was that this is going to be the year of unusual alliances. And I think we're seeing a lot of that already. So, for for example, in this crew of people that you've referenced here, uh, what Eric Weinstein calls the intellectual dark web, where there's there's he and his brother, uh, Brett, who was a a biology professor, a lefty his whole life at Evergreen State University, one of the most left universities in the entire country oh it, it uh, makes the guy was, it makes yeah. the rest of seattle if, if, if we were talking evergreen up in, in seattle right makes the left yeah, of yeah, yeah. left of seattle look like salt lake city or provo utah <laughs> <laughs> i mean exactly you're not you're not being sarcastic i mean it really, no. it, they say it is possibly the most progressive university on in the country so you'd think by default if they're if they're if set of progressive lefty ideas if this is the right set of ideas you'd think that schools where these ideas are implemented would be the most tolerant, lovely, diverse, welcoming places. But they are the complete reverse because of the obsession with immutable characteristics instead of what your ideas are. So this crew of people, whether it's the, the Weinstein brothers or Sam Harris or Ben Shapiro, or I include you in this uh, and, and many others. And it's, by the way, it's not for me to define who's in this, but there's just an interesting yeah. Uh, truly diverse group of people that are in this, all we're doing is basically standing here and saying, we will have the discussion. So the reason I call this the year of interesting alliances, unusual alliances, is because if you took two guys like Sam Harris and Ben Shapiro right now, I know, I know you know Ben well. Yeah. So Ben is a, cons- ben is a conservative, and he, you know, he can pretty much tick down the line of what conservative values are. Sam is a lefty and can pretty much tick down the line of, of what lefty or, you know, liberal in, in that in the progressive sense values are the only thing that Sam gets in trouble with with the left really is is talking about Islam, which for some reason in their oppression Olympics, they put at the apex of it, which I have some theories on that if you want to go into it. But basically, my point is that Sam from the left and Ben from the right are in comp- their allies now. Yes, because they're defending each other's right yes. to freely express their ideas. So they're on stage together. I was at an event in San Francisco where the two of them were on stage uh, with Eric Weinstein, actually. And the, Ben got basically a, a, a huge, tremendous ovation from Sam's crowd who should disagree with him on virtually everything. I'm talking from the existence of God and the, the value of religion all the way through to abortion and taxes and every other political issue we can think of. But people are realizing those are not the issues. There's one issue that matters right now. And the issue that matters is, will you truly stand for freedom? Does this country, yes. does, do, do the values of this yes. country, what we were founded on, the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and the other stuff that's in the Bill of Rights that's pretty damn great, uh, do these things actually matter anymore or do they not? And if you believe that they do and you will defend people who who won't defend you. So, for example, Linda Sarsour, who I think is a, a true vile, I think she's an anti-Semite, and I think she's anti- yeah. anti-American and all this stuff. When, when CUNY, the City University of New York, invited her as the uh, commencement speaker, I would have preferred that they not invite her because I don't think her set of ideas is worth listening to and worth platforming. However, they did invite her. And then I publicly defended. I said, look, you can't de-platform if they've been invited. Uh, it, trust me, it was not a pleasure for me to do that. I, I mean, I think this woman's a true threat to our democracy because 
her ideas are now embedded in the Women's March, which now Farrakhan's ideas are embedded. And that's not far from being embedded into the, the Democratic platform altogether. So if you will stand for the basic set of ideas that I know that you care about, that the founders and Thomas Jefferson, who you referenced right at the beginning of this, uh, that he wrote about and, and cared about, if you will stand for those ideas, you will find allies everywhere. Um, but if you don't stand for if you don't stand for those ideas, you're only going to find enemies because then your ideology is based in finding enemies. So that that's the challenge for all of us right now. Dave, um, you are probably one of the few people um, that are as passionate about A.I. and future tech uh, mm-hmm. as I am. And when I hear people talk about A.I., um, my skin crawls because they. They either don't see what is coming, um, mm-hmm. what is possible on the good and possible on the bad. Um, they think AI is about, you know, a fight against robots. It's it's really a fight uh, against goals to make sure that the goals of AI line up with human goals and freedom mm-hmm. goals. Um, there was a, a, a ad that was just put out by the ADL about how they're now using AI and, uh, and, uh, machine learning to root out hate speech on the, on the internet. And they said, and it finds 86% of the time it's hate speech. Well, wait, what, um, what are we heading for? Yeah. Well, first off, as you know, you know, the Supreme Court has said there is no such thing as hate speech. You can't you know, if you libel or slander somebody, there's legal action that they can take. If you have a direct call for violence or you, you know, scream fire in a crowded theater. okay, that this is not. But that's but hate speech in that you you are allowed to say bad things about people. You are allowed to be racist. It kind of sucky. I wish the world was a nicer place. Uh, but if we're going to live in, a, in an open society, you are allowed to say bad things. So the phrase hate speech is already a loaded, uh, loaded term. It's sort of like the phrase Islamophobia. A, a phobia is an irrational fear. Everywhere that the set of ideas of Islam spread is bad for everyone. By the way, including Muslim people. If you're a woman living under Islam, bad. If you're a gay person or, or a Christian or a Jew or any other religious minority, bad. So that is not an irrational fear. But this is just another way that they... They twist and contort language. As far as AI, th- this is a massive problem. I'm, I'm a big sci-fi guy, uh, so most of the movies that I love are sort of dystopian future movies like The Matrix and Total Recall and Minority Report sure. and all this stuff. So, so yes, we're not, yes, are we entering the phase of Terminator where we're going to be at war physically with robots? I don't think we're quite there yet, uh, but your point is the correct one, which is that we're basically entering an information war. And if, if the AI, and this is why James Damore, uh, who is the Google engineer that, that got fired over uh, writing his anti-diversity memo, uh, this is why he is such a key piece to this entire thing. Because Google basically, if, if AI was done the way it's supposed to be done, it's just really machine learning and artificial intelligence is supposed to compile information. And, and by compiling information, you, get, you will get truth. You, it will sift through things that are not true. It will find things that are true. That in and of itself is basically a good thing. Uh, the problem is that the diversity memo, these ideas of this fake diversity yep. and leftism, have seeped into the AI, so it, which, is why when you, which is why when you search certain terms now, they're not showing you the correct things. I think the one that everyone's talking about, uh, I hope I get this right, is if you search uh, American inventors, the first page in Google 
will show you mostly black inventors. Now, there's no, of course, there are many brilliant, brilliant black inventors who deserve all the credit and accolades that come with their discoveries. But, if, but something like uh, Thomas Edison is even on the first page. I, I'm slightly butchering this a little bit, but yeah. your audience just check it out for themselves. But that's what the problem is. They're going to so, alter what the reality is. And this is a huge problem. Have you, have you read uh, Max Tegmark's uh, book, Life 3.0? No, I haven't. All right. So in it, he talks about how, you know, they're in Israel. They did a study that shows that if you get a judge first thing in the morning, you generally get a light sentence. But the closer you get to lunch, the more hungry they get, the more <laughs> testy they get. So yeah. uh, they the idea was, why don't we just why don't we just put A.I. in charge of the court system? Uh, and so they started doing tests on uh, paroles here in America. And they they I think it was IBM. They got with IBM and they said, let's put all of the stats in. And they they said, well, let's then it, the AI will make a recommendation. Well, they started making recommendations and they found that due to just the pure stats, white people were let out more often than black people. Mm-hmm. And so then they the scientists then said, is AI racist? And they yeah. went back to change the algorithm. Now, that's not, wait, that, that's not putting yeah, in pure yeah. information. And the, it bothers me when we're starting to talk about opinions and hate speech and who should be heard and who should not. It depends on who puts all the information in. And that is exactly why that this snake will eat itself. Because the next move that this this thing this monster is is making is now to attack science and and attack scientists so a biologist like Weinstein quite a brilliant biologist actually is now under attack from these people anyone who believes in equality of opportunity not equality of outcome we if we start fiddling so that equality of outcome is based on your race and your sexuality and your gender and all those things we will live in a horrible Philip K. Dick dystopian society yeah. that will not be good for anybody. That will actually be the racist society. Yeah. And we see that. We see evidence of that now, which is why there's also this lawsuit right now against Google by the, uh, the recruiter who said that they didn't want him to hire white and Asian men for uh, engineering jobs because they were overrepresented. So if you, if you take that logic to its end conclusion, you're saying actually – we should be racist against white and Asian people. Now, put white people aside just for a second, just for the, for the ease of the argument. Put white people aside, okay? Let's say you think white people have been in power and blah, blah, blah. The idea, Asian people are a minority in this country. Asian people from wh- whatever country they came from, China, Japan, Taiwan, whatever, came here. No one gave them anything through generations because of hard work and caring about education and family, et cetera. They've worked very hard and have consistently moved up the socioeconomic ladder. And I think by most ways that we judge success, actually, you're probably the most successful minority in this country. Mm-hmm. Does that mean we should now be discriminating against them? Should they not get jobs that they deserve in the name of diversity? I mean, if you believe that, that is completely antithetical to every other uh, every other set of ideas that this country was founded upon. So these are the things that we're fighting. And, and you're completely right that AI is now a huge piece of this. And, you know, people have the idea that it's going to be Terminator and, and Schwarzenegger is going to be out there. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you have to take him down. But that, that's not the one you have to worry about yet. What you have to worry about right now is the information one. And especially when you then factor in, well, how do we get our news? We get it through a Facebook mm-hmm. algorithm. How do we get 
How do we get our videos? Yeah. It's whatever YouTube decides to deliver, and no one knows what's in the algorithm. So that's what we're up against right now. Dave Rubin, uh, the host of the Rubin Report, uh, grab his uh, podcast and listen to it. Listen to the interviews that he does. They are uh, truly fascinating and very varied. Uh, and I think you are part of the solution, Dave. And I, I'm, I'm thrilled at your, at your success and for your success. Thank you so much, Dave. Thank you, my friend. And, and let's just keep this conversation going. And as I told you, you're welcome in my place anytime. Thank you very much. God bless. Glenn Beck. The Blaze Radio Network.